I turned them. Yes, I did. How many of you were here 50 years ago? 1971, the summer of 1971, I happened to work and live here in Banff in the old parsonage basement. I spent eight months here and enjoyed my time very much. Then my son comes to be the pastor here. I sang in this church as a quartet 50 years. with Smonga so they could have a break. Greg also asked me to speak this Sunday. And I knew from me listening to some, but Gwen listening to all of the messages that he's preached through the book of 1 Corinthians, we knew that he was coming to the conclusion of that book. So I spent some time, this was about a month ago, I spent some time starting to peruse 2 Corinthians to see what the difference was, to see whether we could fit the two together at all a little bit. I had done a study ab about the two books, oh, quite a number of years ago, and that reminds me of it, and I actually ended up preaching a message with the same title, but very different, probably in about 2013 or 14, somewhere around there. In this letter, 2 Corinthians, and we're going to be perusing mostly chapter 4, has a very, very different tone than 1 Corinthians, probably thankfully. Chapter 4 and verse 7 says this, We have this treasure in jars of clay. Now, jars of clay just happens to be the name of a musical group that uh, began their career probably just prior to 1993, but that's when their first album came out and it was met with tremendous success. They chose that name from this passage of Scripture. And a lot of the music that they sang in those late, well, mid to late, uh, 90s and into the 2000s, uh, resonated with much of the theme uh, from 2 Corinthians. Turn to chapter 4 in your Bible if you have it, or your phones, or whatever you have. I want to read a good portion of it this morning before we look at our theme, Jars of Clay. Paul has introduced the book already. He's done a number of things, and then he starts by saying this, therefore, having this ministry, and it's a ministry we're going to be discussing, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, for we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay 
to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying about in the body of the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifest in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Let me give you a little bit of background about the time between the two uh, verses. And I'm going to read a synopsis that I found a number of years ago and uh, recorded it then. I don't even remember where I found it, but it uh, really ties the two letters together. I'm quoting. Paul had first visited Corinth in his second missionary journey, spending quite a bit of time with them preaching the simple truths of the gospel and leading many to Christ, especially those Greeks of the poorer classes. He then traveled to Ephesus where he spent the better part of two years before returning to Jerusalem. It was just before leaving Ephesus that Paul was made aware of some disturbing behaviors within the Corinthian church. He urgently sent them his first letter. Paul's letter had very little approval and a lot of stern correction. Imagine how those Corinthians felt. Divisions, corruption, lawsuits, immorality, sexual deviance, rampant criticism, marriage unfaithfulness. Their spiritual advisor was very perturbed with them, challenging them about most of these sinful behaviors. Being taken to task for wrongdoing is never easy when it comes in the form of a letter written to everyone and read publicly. I imagine it was even harder to take. But now, because of the tone of this second letter, the Corinthian Christians must have responded in repentance and correction to a great degree because Paul commends them a number of times in this letter. There is still strong instruction here, but the entire tone of the letter breathes compassion rather than censure. It is completely different from the first, end quote. The first letter, as mentioned, was sent about the time Paul left Ephesus on his journey to, back to Jerusalem, and it probably took about six months for that journey, according to most scholars. This second letter is penned just before he gets back to Jerusalem, so there's only about six months of time between 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. In that short span of time, a lot of change had occurred in the people in Corinth. Obviously, they had really taken to heart some of the things that Paul had said to them. Rather than continuing to censure and admonish, now Paul is commending, comforting, and encouraging this congregation in the first three chapters. The first letter deals very much with what people were doing and the behaviors they had. This second letter doesn't deal terribly much with people or activities. It rather focuses on God and his son, Jesus Christ. What God, through his son, Jesus Christ, has accomplished 
for the Corinthians, therefore for us as well. Paul now in the beginning of chapter 4 says this, what Jesus Christ has done for us is our ministry. It's not all kinds of other things. It's not just living this life. It's presenting Jesus to the world around us. Most of this letter deals with the ministry the Corinthians are called to live out. We are also called to do that as well. We are to demonstrate the wonderful truth of the light of Jesus' salvation offered now to the entire world, all of mankind. How the Corinthians and how us, how we, pursue this ministry will bear fruit, first of all, in our own lives, but then also it will impact very definitely the lives of those unbelievers observing us and seeing what is happening as our lives change. That is the gospel. That is the good news, the change that God can do through Jesus Christ in our lives. And that's so imperative for us. I want to set the stage a little this morning with an example that happened to me a few years ago while I happened to be working for a farmer in our area. This was fall harvest. Um, I worked in the spring and the fall. This was the fall time. And during the long evenings of combining and trucking the grain uh, to the storage bins, he was combining. I, don't th I sat in the combine. I never ran it. He did that. I drove the truck and put the grain into the bins if I didn't forget dumping it on the ground. This evening, as we finally got home, his wife usually kicked, always cooked supper for us. It didn't matter what time, whether it was 7 in the evening when we were done or midnight. She had supper prepared and ready for us as we got to his place. But this particular evening, another friend of mine, actually a cousin of Gwen's, uh, happened to be waiting as well and wanted to discuss something from me. I have no idea what, because that subject never really got broached. While we sat around the supper table, um, Don and his wife, Marion, my hosts, began discussing with Brian a variety of things, and one of the questions that they asked was, why do you, him being an agnostic, having grown up in a Christian home but never really applying it to himself, why do you, Brian, and so many others of like-minded people in this community and everywhere in the world, why do you struggle so much in not accepting this message of the gospel of Jesus Christ? His conclusion was rather interesting. He said that most non-believers in Jesus observed far too much lifestyle hypocrisy. He felt that most believers that they knew talk a very heavenly walk and commitment while actually living out a very secular, selfish, earthly life. I think what he was observing was the jars of clay that you and I live in. And perhaps we have been far too often guilty of presenting that dilemma of hypocrisy. We're going to look at the, that dilemma a lot because these jars of clay that we have result in a real dilemma for us. 
I find it interesting that over the intervening years, that's about six or seven years since that discussion, Brian has started to understand the concept of believers actually still living in jars of clay. He's begun to realize we do have new life, but we still live in a fallen world, still in our human physical bodies. We've not yet been glorified, but as Christ begins to change us, we present and represent the truth of the gospel, that ministry that we've been called to do. But the dilemma we face is that it's both life and death, or death and life, as was said. The last two songs that we sang refer to that struggle with death, death and life. Paul states in verse 11 of our text, For we who live, that is you and me, those of us who love the Lord Jesus Christ and have received his new life, are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus might also be manifest in our mortal flesh. Therein is the dilemma. We still have that jar of clay, but our responsibility is to live the life that Jesus Christ has given to us. There's another even more serious dilemma that we face in that, though, and Paul mentions it in verses 3, 4, 5, and 6. Firstly, actually, let's back up just a bit. What he says is that the message that we're presenting to the world is veiled. It's shrouded. It's hidden. They only see it a little bit. He gives two reasons for that. First of all, that the God of this world... Satan, the enemy of God, our enemy as well, the evil one, has blinded the minds of unbelievers. And I think that was evident in Brian's discussion with us too that was many years ago. Secondly, not only are believers' minds blinded, they also only see the light of the gospel in our jars of clay. They do not see Jesus Christ the way that we do. And so there are two dilemmas that we face there. First of all, as I mentioned, Satan attempts and works very hard at blinding every eye that he can with every single enticement of this world that it can possibly offer. He blinds everyone to the glorious truth of Jesus. Every lie he can persuade them to believe he does so. And then, not only that, he takes the truth and twists it into half-truths so that it becomes even farther, harder to understand. We have to remember that Satan in this world is intentionally blinding everyone who chooses not to believe. They are, in a very real way, listening to that message from Satan. And on the other hand, the part that we need to wrestle with in our jars of clay is that they only see the light of Jesus Christ through our lives. And so that is dim. The, the jars of clay shroud in many times the truth of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have this treasure. And the treasure that Paul talks about 
in this text and throughout the entire scripture as well. The treasure is the knowledge of new life, new birth, waiting heaven for those who believe the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the treasure we have, but it is in jars of clay right now. It is our task, our ministry, the end of verse 7 says, to show, this is the task, this is the ministry, to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Now, I struggle with that because I'm far too much a kind of person who wants everybody to say, look at me, see what I'm doing. I'm doing this really good, I'm doing that really good. Maybe I'm not doing anything very good, especially if I'm doing it in my own strength. So that's the dilemma that we face. As Gwen and I were traveling here on Thursday, uh, which we do quite often, not traveling here, but as we travel, quite often what we do is uh, on, uh, turn on uh, a YouTube message from either Greg or a couple of my close friends. This time we turned a message to um, my friend from Neilburg, Saskatchewan, preaching from 2 Corinthians Pardon me, preaching from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, which probably many of us have memorized in the past. For by grace you have been saved through faith. That's the wonderful message. That's the ministry you have. That's the light of the gospel. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The same dilemma is faced there as well. And then while I listened to that message and um, uh, my mind sort of strayed to other passages of Scripture that instruct the same dilemma, that let us know that we have that dilemma, but that we have the victory over it as well. Galatians chapter 2 and 3, Ephesians chapter 2, which is what I just quoted from, Philippians chapter 2, which happens to be, Philippians is my favorite book. I didn't preach from it this Sunday. I think you're fortunate. Colossians chapter 3. And then the entire letters of 1 John and uh, the letter that James wrote talks so much about that dilemma that we face trying to live being dead to sin in our jars of clay, but alive to Christ so that his message can be seen, which is our ministry. Should we become discouraged with that dilemma? Absolutely not. And Paul says, may it never be. In Romans chapter 8, he says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Then at the end of that wonderful passage, that chapter, he says, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. Not just conquerors, more than conquerors. And so it is possible to, in our jars of clay, present Jesus Christ with the ministry that the world needs from us. And then he says in verse 5 also, just before he re references the jars of clay, Paul says, For we proclaim not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. And that's what we need to present to the world also. We're presenting Jesus to you for your sake. Because we want you in heaven with us. 
Just prior to chapter 4, Paul presents an illustration of uh, veiled light. Moses happened to have been up on the mountain, we know that, um, receiving the Ten Commandments from the Lord. And when he came down to speak about these commandments to the people, his face shone with such great light and glory that he had to wear a veil in front of his face to hide them, to hide that mystery of God in a way. I think in a similar but very, very different way, we have that same thing. Perhaps Jesus Christ, if he were here today, would so blind everybody with the light of the gospel that they'd run away from him. But in our jars of clay, his light shines more muted. And so we don't need to be worried about that as long as we still put to death the worldly part of our lives and take upon us the life that Jesus has given us and that the Holy Spirit enables us to live out. Our response should be twofold. One, it should be to live that light, to allow our jars of clay to represent and to see the world to see the light that Jesus has changed our lives with. And that's imperative. But what's also necessary is for us to share this word as well. I think very, very often we're reticent to actually quote scripture to unbelievers. And yet the people that I know who do that, I'm not terribly prone in doing that, but there are a few friends of mine who do that with great compassion, with great, great comfort, and they have a tremendous ministry to those people that they're willing to share the truth of this word with them. And so both our lives and our words need to represent the ministry that God has given us. The truth of the gospel, the gospel that should be lived out in our lives. The entire biblical text is something that we can share with others. But to do that, we need to know it ourselves as well. We need to be immersed in it. We need to be reading it and studying it. And when we do that, it bears fruit in our lives, and then it's more easy for us to share that with other people as well. Then our jar of clay represents far more the light of Jesus shining out of it because we have been with him in his word. Paul concludes chapter 4 with some very wonderful words, and I didn't read those, so we're going to read them now. He wanted to still point out there was this dilemma that Corinthian people were facing, but there was excitement and encouragement as a result of it. And so he begins in verse 6, 16 by saying, So do not lose heart, though our outer self, in other words, our jar of clay, is wasting away, our inner self the light of the Lord Jesus Christ, is being renewed day by day. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. That's the uh, overcomers greater than just an overcomer. The eternal weight of glory is beyond all comparison as we look not to things that are seen, but to things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, and we know that this 
world will end. Our lives end. But because of what Jesus has done for us, the things that are unseen are eternal. Many, many years ago, I memorized Galatians 2.20. It sort of summarizes, encapsulates, and says everything about the message that I've just preached. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. What an amazing treasure we have in our jars of clay. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful to have your entire word. When we go through a book like 1 Corinthians, it becomes sometimes disheartening, discouraging. It sometimes points out some of the very wickedness that is in our own lives in spite of the fact that we love you. But we're so thankful for this book of 2 Corinthians that provides encouragement that provides a challenge to the ministry that we are called to. Help us to remember that though we have our jars of clay, it is your light that you want to shine through us as we serve you. Thank you that you've given us the Holy Spirit to provide us the strength to do exactly that. Bless us as we go forward this week to be your jars of clay, shining your light. In Jesus' name, amen.